Loitering. Have you ever been convicted of loitering? Ever know anybody who's been convicted of loitering? Loitering, it's a strange word. It sounds weird. It's weird to say. According to dictionary.com, the act of, it is the act of lingering aimlessly or as if aimlessly in or about a place. The act of moving in a slow, idle manner with purposeless stops. Lingering aimlessly, moving slowly and idly, or wasting time. Those are the main definitions that we get from the internet and from smart people who do these things for a living. About loitering. I came across this word this past week in the context of talking about Christians who aren't actively pursuing, basically living on mission, who are only concerned about themselves and their relationship with the Lord. Loitering is when you just hang out in a place and you're not supposed to. You're supposed to go and do something. You're not just supposed to linger. You're supposed to have a purpose, and that purpose should send you somewhere to do something, to accomplish something. You shouldn't just be standing there doing nothing. right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a parent or a teacher or a boss ask you, what are you doing? Why, don't, why are you just standing there? Why don't you go do something? This is some of the idea that it, I think was really interesting to come across whenever we're thinking about the idea of being a people who live on mission, of having a missional mindset. This word, missional, is our topic for the day. We're going to be back in Romans chapter 12 in our little mini-series that we're finishing up right now on Romans chapter 12 and on three words that we have been using to sort of identify how it is we're supposed to live together as the people of God, as we have proclaimed to each other already in what I had written years ago in what we talk about during our membership class. It's right here. Um, You can see this was from last year. But our values that I've not really preached on before, but I'm preaching on now and finishing up today. Three words that we use, that we value, are being authentic, being dependent, and being missional. So we've already talked about being authentic, talked about being dependent last week, and then this week we're talking about being missional. The idea of being on mission should not be new to us, and it's really just kind of the same idea as what we already have talked about before several times whenever I do any kind of series on gospel, community, and mission. Those three words that help us to align ourselves with why we exist as a church. We exist to proclaim the gospel, we exist to build each other up in community, and we exist to send each other out on mission. So it's not just about me and my relationship with the Lord and my understanding of the gospel. It's not just my relationship with each of you and your relationship with one another as you build each other up in community. It's also how can we together encourage one another and send each other out on mission? How can we have a mindset that sees ourselves as a people who aren't just concerned with ourselves, as a people who aren't just concerned with one another in this room, but are concerned about all of those people in Abingdon and wherever we have a presence and a reach around the world, 
who don't know Christ, who don't give God the glory that is due his name, that don't recognize the presence of the Lord in creation, that don't realize that there is a creator, that fail to live according to how God has planned them to live. We are a people who are called not just to loiter in our little group by ourselves. Yes, there is time for that. Yes, we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. But if all we're doing is focusing on ourselves, then we're never going out there and being the people who God has called us to be in this community and for the people who don't know him. Oftentimes, when we're talking about living on mission, and when I've preached on it before, usually we'll go to something like the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority has been, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, we are meant, we are called to go and to make disciples. Sometimes that means physically going. And usually that's what I talk about whenever we're talking about being on mission, living on mission, is the act of going in our community and recognizing the needs that we can meet, the opportunities that we have as we meet needs to then speak to spiritual needs that they may or may not be aware of. So we can meet physical needs in order to meet maybe some unknown for them spiritual needs. Or we can build relationships for the purpose of Proclaiming the gospel in their lives, right? Because it's just a circular thing that we have as Christians to proclaim the gospel, to build each other up as disciples in community, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. And then we send each other out on mission to go and to proclaim the gospel, right? And so it just starts the loop over again. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves, we proclaim the gospel to one another, and we proclaim the gospel to a world who is lost and dying and without hope for this life and the life that is to come. But what we're going to more so focus on from Romans chapter 12 is the mindset that we ought to have as we live on mission. So not just the act of going, not just the act of building those relationships, but Sort of the reason behind it, the why. Why should we be concerned about this? How can we orient our lives and our minds, our thinking, our pattern of behavior, so that it aligns itself with not just being a people who loiter and who are content with the status quo, but who go and who live according to the pattern that Christ himself has set for us and that Christ himself has called us to as his people. So that's the backdrop of what we're looking at this morning in Romans chapter 12. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse 9. <coughs> Excuse me, there's something there in my throat. Um, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. So Romans 12, starting in verse 9, says, Let love be genuine. 
or authentic, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Thanks. Love one another with brotherly affection. Bring water to someone when they need it. (laughs) Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Nice. So, when we think about Romans chapter 12, when we start in verse 9, as we sort of did a couple weeks ago, and have kind of branched out both in the midst of verses 9 through 13, and then before that, in the gifts of the Spirit, we talked about some last week, how we're dependent on God's truth, we're dependent on God's Spirit, we're dependent on God's people. Because God's Spirit works inside of Christians to be a blessing, to confront, to encourage, to restore, to build up other Christians, to build up us. But how do we know what's true? How do we know that it is the Spirit who is saying these things, who is doing these things? How do we know that we're living according to truth? Well, we have His truth. His Word is truth. And so we're dependent on God's truth, His Word. We're dependent on God's Spirit. And we're dependent on God's people. We want our love to be genuine, authentic. Because if we're just putting up masks and we're and we have this facade, like this is who I am, and that's all people know about us, then they can never truly understand us. They can never really speak truth into our lives because there's a blockade of falsehood that is keeping them from seeing us as we truly are. So, so if I put on a mask and I act like I'm a certain way, then all you're going to do is be able to respond to that instead of responding to me as I truly am. But that's not beneficial for you or for me because you're wasting your time. You don't even know who I really am. I'm wasting your time because I'm doing all this work to keep you from getting to know me, from being willing to admit to my faults, from being willing to confess my sin to one another so that God might forgive me and restore me, so that God might bring me out of such things to live for him instead of living for myself. And when it comes to this idea of being missional, it's really kind of, if we put it in a sentence, maybe to paraphrase or look at this text together, it is the idea that being missional is the love of Christ intentionally displayed in us regardless of response. So I want to make my mind think 
about this. The love of Christ intentionally displayed in us regardless of response. This is having a missional mindset. Because if if we don't prepare ourselves, we're going to be a people who think we know how we ought to act or think we know how to respond. But if we're not already prepared for how people are going to treat us, and Christ himself makes it clear how people are going to treat us, that they're not going to be all that receptive oftentimes, that they are going to be opposed to us exposing their lies, their falsehood, the, the ways of this world and the false idols, the false truths that are espoused to us every day that we can just be whoever we want to be, that we are the determiners of our fate, that there is no God, that there is no truth objectively. We have to be ready for how people are going to respond to that. And it requires us training ourselves to have a mindset that is ready and focused on how people are going to respond so we know how to respond to their response. And so whether they respond positively or negatively, regardless, we are going to show Christ in us to them because that ought to be the focus that we have at all times for anybody. We want Christ to be shown in us. We want Christ to come out in us. A mindset focused on grace in the midst of and despite the response. And so he talks about a lot of these thoughts, a lot of these feelings, a lot of these intentions in verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Right? So, I mean, like that, these words being slothful, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea of loitering, right? I mean, you know, like you're not moving. You're just staying in the same spot. Be energetic. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So these are attitudes that turn into actions. These are ways that my brain, that my soul is processing how I need to live as a Christian in this world. Because that's what Romans chapter 12 has become. For the first 11 chapters, Paul talks about theology and theological things. He says, here is what the gospel is. Here's how people have responded to the gospel, how Israel has responded to the gospel. And now his appeal to us, as he starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is by the mercies of God that he has shown toward us in Christ to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. This is our worship. This is how our response ought to be. We have to think That the ways in which we have lived previously, the ways in which this world teaches us to live, are not the ways in which we ought to live as Christians. There are some things that the world gets right. And that's due to the common grace of God, all of us. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. 
God is gracious to all of us in some capacity. He is the one who gives us the breath that we have, whether we are Christians or not. There is plenty that is not good and right in this world. And one of the things that, as we transition from verses 9 through 13 to verses 14 through 21, is the question, is Paul talking about our relationship with one another in the church, or is he talking about our relationship with the world? Because I think there's a little bit of both throughout all of it. I mean, he does say in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So who should we show hospitality to? Should we only show hospitality to saints? I mean, first off, we should show hospitality to saints. We should show hospitality to one another. We should be welcoming each other into our homes, into our lives, for the purpose of encouraging one another in the faith, for the purpose of building one another up, for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel to one another, for the purpose of hearing the gospel from somebody else, so that those gray-haired people with all the wisdom can speak that wisdom into my life, right? And apparently I'm slowly but surely getting there. So that those who have been in situations that we are walking into, we can learn from. Those who are in situations coming up that we've been in for years, we can say, hey, this is how we've gotten through that. This is how we have trusted the Lord in these ways. This is why we have trained our bodies and our minds to trust the Lord as you are walking into this new stage and chapter of your life. So there is some aspect of this being a call for us as Christians to have this mindset to act in these ways toward other Christians. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So is he talking about saints? Is he talking about people in this world? I mean, maybe he's talking about Christians that are outside of our immediate context. In that world 2,000 years ago where people would travel and they needed hospitality because the inns weren't a great place to stay. Maybe he's talking about those Christians who were traveling to show hospitality to them. Maybe it's talking about people who are just simply in need. The poor. Those who don't have the means to provide for themselves that we can provide a room for them. We can provide shelter for them. We can do something to meet a need in the way that God has shown his mercy and grace toward us and met our needs, both physically and spiritually. So certainly he's talking about our relationship with other Christians. And unfortunately, I think that's true as we continue in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I mean, I I don't know if you have ever experienced the pain of church people not treating you how church people ought to treat you. But it's hard. 
It's miserable. Some of us have endured it for years. Some of us have seen other people endure it for years. It's tough. I mean, I don't know about you, but my natural response to someone who speaks ill against me, someone who's not on my team in the moment, is to recognize that they are not on my team in the moment. And if they're not on my team, I am a competitive person who is going to fight them, who is going to combat whatever it is they're saying or doing. To speak ill of them. That's my natural inclination. Maybe you naturally have much more patience and grace. But I think there's a reason why Paul writes in verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Because I think whether he himself is of this natural mindset or he has seen numbers of people have the mindset that if you're not with me, then you are against me. And if you're against me, then I am absolutely 100% against you in every capacity. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to curse you. I, I, I'm going to say I wish evil things upon you. But instead he says, bless those who persecute you. But I also think it's pretty clear from the Gospels, from Jesus himself, that if they've treated Jesus to the point of killing him in persecution, and he's told us a servant's not greater than his master, and if he's our master and he was treated with persecution, then we ourselves ought to expect and be ready for persecution from the outside, from those who are not believers, from those in this world who don't get what the Lord has opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear and softened our hearts to understand. And so we have to be ready to, to bless them instead of cursing them, to show them that our opportunity, our duty, our capability with the spirit that lives inside of us is to speak a word of blessing and to say, look, I understand that in the same way God has been gracious and merciful to me when I have spit in his face, when I have been his enemy, that he has been the one to show me kindness and forgiveness. And if he's shown that to me, who am I to withhold that from somebody else? In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, as he writes, he says in verse 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, I think it's important that if 
you know, and I encourage you to go back and read this later today, this week, this second half of First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to finish reading it, but I want you to have your mind set on. It's not just the fact that Christ has been an example for us, though that is absolutely 100% true. That's what he has just said. We have been called to this because Christ has suffered for us, leaving us an example. But it's not just an example that we're meant to follow. He has forgiven us. It's not just, hey, here's what you're supposed to do. I'm doing it. Now you do it. It's, hey, I have paid the penalty for your sin when you have failed to do this. And I still am showing my love and forgiveness toward you. So he's done something about my sins. He hasn't just said, oh, it's okay. He's taken our sins. And verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So listen to this, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So it's not just an example. Because I can't, I can't follow Christ's example and die for somebody else and their sins. Only Christ has done that. And Christ has done that for me. But we also recognize that Christ has done that for other people. So the example that we're following in Christ is to say, look at me as I'm a Christian, a little Christ, showing you the ways in which Christ has lived, but also pointing you to Christ, not just pointing you to myself. I want you to see Christ in me, but I want you to see Christ. Like, yes, you're seeing that through me, but leave me to the side and see Christ. This is the mindset, the purpose, the attitude which we have to have if we are going to be missional. It is to say, I want to be like Christ, and I want to point people to Christ. And if Christ has shown himself to live in this manner, then I too want to live in this manner And show them that God has loved them to the extent that he has sent his son to die. To bear their sins himself in his body on the tree, on that cross. To pay that penalty. To pay the debt that was owed. To afford the offer of forgiveness And peace with God. I can't give that to somebody. But I can show somebody that. And I can point them toward the Christ. Who can give them that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. A lot of what Paul does here in Romans chapter 12. And especially the second half. Verses 9 through 21 is very similar in writing style to the, just the book of James. James talks about it. Like, don't just, don't just associate with rich people. 
don't just associate with the people of power. Don't just associate with the people who think will afford you the opportunity to advance in your career, or advance in your lifestyle, advance in your standing in the community. Associate with these people for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, but then also recognize that there's a whole swath of people who aren't on city council. There's a whole swath of people who aren't in charge of anything. There's a whole group of people, the vast majority, who are not anybody when it comes to the stature of this world. They're just regular Joes and Jills. They're ones who don't have even what we have. Associate with them. Don't say to the rich man, hey, yes, be esteemed, sit in the front. Say to anybody and everybody, doesn't matter when they come or when they don't come. Hey, have this place of honor. Be my guest. Let me serve you. It says never be wise in your own sight. I mean, isn't that the difficult thing? Because, I mean, don't we think we each know it all? Don't we think we know the best way to go about it? Don't we think that we have all the answers? When we associate with the lowly, we're saying, even then, I can learn from them. Those who don't have the education that I have, those who don't have the possessions that I have, those who don't have the means that I have. Those who haven't received all of the worldly blessings that I have received. I can still learn from them. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So don't give up the will of God in order to live at peace with people. That's often what we're called to do in our culture today. What we've been called to do for years and years, it just seems like it's just that much more prevalent, but it's really always been the case. Immorality has always been rampant everywhere. This is not a new 21st century American thing. But we are called, if at all possible, as far as it depends on us, to be at peace with people. To not put a stumbling block before somebody else just for the sake of doing it. Just because we can. Having... An attitude that says, I want to build a relationship with this person, regardless of how they live, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they believe, because I think that it's more important for me to be able to be a witness to them, for them to see my life in Christ as the best life that there is to live and the best life for them to live. And I want them to see that. I want them to be invited into that. And how can I do that if I don't, on my end, approach them peacefully? 
approach them with the grace and mercy that God has approached me with, with the patience that he has shown toward me. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now you can read that, and some people would say that that means, when you're talking about, usually fire in the Bible is oftentimes God's judgment on people. I mean, the fire of hell as an idea. I mean, typically, when you play with fire, you get burned. And being burned is not a pleasant thing for anybody, I don't think. It's not for me. Heaping burning coals on his head is basically God's judgment. The idea of God's judgment coming down on them. But our hope should not be left on that. What... Our perspective ought to be is to say, I don't need to avenge myself because I trust that the Lord will in his time bring justice to this situation. In Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about these things. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. To get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So, why do we act in this way that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6, that he talks about in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount? Why do we leave it to the wrath of God? Because we're showing that we trust him. Why do we leave it to the Lord? Because our reward for trusting him will come. Will it come in this life? Maybe not. Because sometimes persecution leads to death for those who are persecuted. Is there a reward for them then in this life? Not necessarily, no. The reward for them is being in the presence of their Heavenly Father then. Is seeing Him that much sooner. Of their faith turning into sight. But Jesus does say there's a reward But I think also in that same vein that we read in Luke chapter 6, he talks about the Lord being merciful, gracious to the unjust. And so don't just think about heaping burning coals on their head as if we are being nice to them so that they will suffer. Right? Because that defeats the whole purpose. 
Doesn't it? You know, I'm being nice to you so that you will pay. I think that goes against a lot of the idea that Paul and Jesus are talking about. The goal is for the Lord to be able to be gracious to them in the midst of this. To be able to overcome evil by doing good. That's how he ends verse 21 in Romans chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we are an example to them, as we show them the grace and mercy that the Lord has shown to us, we show to them, them having not earned it or deserved it from us. And in doing so, we show them that the Lord has been gracious and merciful to us and is gracious and merciful to them. And so maybe... They will see this and learn and understand the grace and mercy of the Lord. That they will see Christ for who he truly is. That should be our hope. That should be our mindset. I am being gracious to this person so that they can see the grace of God through me and into their lives. That's the mindset that... We ought to have. That's the missional mindset. That we as the people of God really are encouraged to have here in Romans chapter 12. We are susceptible to acting just like everyone else acts. But that's not who we've been called to be. That's not the example that's been set before us, and that's not the admonition, the encouragement, the expectation that Christ and Paul and so many other authors have given to us. So many examples that have come before us. So, I encourage each one of us to think about these things. Ask in our lives, where have we not shown grace to those who have wronged us? Where have we not shown the kindness of the Lord? And maybe the Lord allows us to go through these times of suffering, these opportunities if we'll see them as that, to be a witness for him, where otherwise these people on the outside would not listen, would not respond, but they might respond because of how we act in the midst of these times of suffering and persecution. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us. This is not an easy topic. This is not an easy mindset to just all of a sudden have. This takes work and practice. We're going to fail at this. But we look to Christ who has not failed. We're not seeking after perfection so that people can see us. We're, we're seeking after obedience 
and holiness so that people can see your holiness. People can see your grace. So Lord, we we pray and we ask that you would use us, that we would be ready and willing to have this mindset and to actively pursue showing your grace and mercy to others. Lord, would you quicken our hearts, strengthen our minds and our hands to to remain steadfast in, in obedience to the call that you have put on us. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.